That's like a really abrupt ending. Did you see it? You didn't know it was coming. I didn't either last week when I saw it for the very first time. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to talk now. Well, good morning, and um, welcome back um, for all the college students that are in the room. We're glad you guys had a really long break, and we missed you like crazy, but we're glad that you're here. You did not know the topic of conversation that you were diving into today when you arrived, but some of y'all were here last week, and you knew that we dove into Luke chapter 2, verse 52, where it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. And so you knew, like, okay, so last week we talked about how Jesus grew in wisdom, and it made no sense to us, kind of looking at that verse on the outside, to think, well, how did Jesus grow in wisdom? He already knew all things. That's exactly right. Well, this, this boy Jesus, this child Jesus, this like 12-year-old Jesus visiting the priests and the scribes in the temple Jesus continued to grow in earthly wisdom. He just continued to figure out the world as he hit puberty and then maturity and then adulthood before his seasonal ministry started when he ultimately sacrificed his life and then ascended back to the throne room of heaven where he came from in the first place. We talked about wisdom, and you kind of knew as a sneak peek that this this was the stature week, and you showed up anyway. Like, you knew. You're like, oh, my pastor today, he's going to talk to us about diet and exercise. This is a really good week to skip church. We can go to, we can beat the crowd at Jay Christopher's and have our brunch. Like, y'all, but you came back anyway, and I, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the opportunity to dive into an area of our growth and our maturity and our spiritual life that often goes really, really untouched, particularly for believers around the world. Like this is a, this is a touchy, difficult subject for us to dive into, and it means a little more than what we think it does. And I think we're going to explore that from Scripture today. I graduated high school. Oh, I'm about to throw out the year, and then somebody's going to do some math and figure out that he's over 40. That's okay. All right. So I graduated high school in the year 1996. If you were not born, don't tell me. I think that's right. Rude. Okay, so 1996, I graduated high school. That was also the year that the Olympics came back to the United States and hit up Atlanta. Does anybody remember that? Like, the, did anybody go to the Olympics in Atlanta when they were here? That's probably the closest they've been in our lifetime. You lived in Atlanta. That's no fair growing up. But it was probably hard to get tickets, and it probably changed the whole landscape of your city and made things really complicated. But that's, that's a good thing. So the, the Atlanta Olympics came, and this was the slogan as they were being promoted all around the country. It was the line, you do not win the silver medal, you lose the gold. That is so offensive to all the people who won silver medals. I thought you worked so hard and you came in second of all the other people who participated. That is an achievement. Those people probably won a whole bunch of money. They got endorsements. They got a chance to go back again because they clearly had a shot of getting the gold the next time around, which was four years later. This would have been a really big deal. But the slogan of the organization that you're a part of, that you're giving your life to, that you wake up at 4 a.m. and hit the pool before you ever go to math class for, like this whole deal was you do not win the silver you lose the gold. Everybody who's a sports enthusiast, and I'm not one of them, like I just found out this morning that if the Titans win this game, they're literally only going to, like, is it one more that they have to do before they get to go to the Super Bowl? And I had to ask at the golf cart ride this morning, like, what, when's the last time we did that? And I found out it was 2009. And I'm like, well, this is, this is a really big deal then. So, you know, tighten up, go team. I'm excited. Well, I know this guy named Vince. I don't know him personally. Vince Lombardi said winning is not everything. It's the what? It's the only thing. Now, that is not what we teach our children in elementary school. Y'all do not repeat that to my seven-year-old whose team did not, in fact, win their basketball game yesterday. Please don't tell him that it's the only thing because we're trying to instill the value of learning how to be a really good sport and be okay with coming in second, which is really hard when there's only two teams on the court. But he said winning is not 
everything. It's the only thing. And that's not new. This didn't just happen because of a guy named Ben Somebody. It didn't just happen because of the 1996 Olympics. It's actually always been a, a, a mode and a desire as people pursued sports or athletics or fitness in general. In fact, before Jesus ever had a chance to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man as a person, you know, he, he created the whole world, so we're just going to say he was there from the very beginning. But before he was ever tiny little baby in a manger, before he was ever visiting the scribes and the priests in the temple and teaching them all kinds of really great stuff, before his parents lost him on the way back, before we learned that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, and before he ever grew up and did all this great ministry and taught all these great things and did all these incredible miracles and ultimately sacrificed his life, the Olympics had already been happening. It had already been going on in the Greek world, and not just the Olympics, but this whole deal of Panhellenic games of like the Olympics, and then I wrote them all down so that I wouldn't forget what they are. The Pythian, the Nemean, and the Isthmian games were already happening in the world. They were already going on, and there was a boxer, because boxing was a thing way before the turn of that century, named Agathos Daimon. He was from Alexandria in Greece. He won one set of games, and then he goes to compete at Mount Olympus. And his epitaph on his tombstone, stone, rock, whatever, reads this. Here he died boxing in the stadium, Mount Olympus, having prayed to Zeus for a wreath or death. Age 35, farewell. He, he went for the wreath, which was the gold for them, and died trying. Because to him, it would have been better to be dead than to have come in second in that competition. The idea of winning not being everything but the only thing has always existed. And that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and men. That word stature in your Bibles, it's, it's a Greek word and it's helikia. And it does mean height. It does mean stature. It does mean like how big Jesus got. But it also means age and time of life and maturity. So Jesus wasn't just growing in the idea of getting taller, which, by the way, that's already kind of predetermined in your life. Like, how tall you're going to get is a, a set of biology and genetics. If you've got a dad who's 6'5", like my nephew does. My sister married a big dude. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's a man of a man. My nephew, at 11 years old, he's turning 12 next week, is already cresting 6 feet tall and wears a size 14 shoe. He's a big dude, and he's on his way to getting bigger. The biology of it, the genetics of it certainly makes a difference. And, and so the idea that Jesus grew in stature was really just the fact that he kept growing, not just tiny little baby in a manger, not just 12-year-old voice dropping and hitting puberty, but ultimately Jesus was going to continue to mature as a person. But then maturity and then time and age of life we also don't just have a kind of a predetermined like how tall you're going to get in height and then how much you're going to shrink once you do start because I hear that happens. You also have a number of days. The book of Job tells us this, that, that our, our, the number of our months is already determined and counted. Like God knows the number of minutes that we are going to get. So the idea of dying too young and going too early may be a concept that is hard for us to swallow, but it's not something that we can say to the Lord on high because 95 years is a great long life, but it was exactly the number of days and years that were determined. 14 years, way too short for us. It was the exact 
the number of years that were determined, that were set, that were prescribed by God. Jesus Christ, 30 to 33, a ministry before he died on a cruel cross, predetermined and set by the Lord on high. So this idea of stature is that Jesus kept increasing in height, but eventually he would stop when he reached the height that he was always going to be. But the idea of growing in any one of these areas, whether it's wisdom or stature, favor with God and favor with men, it means that we keep increasing and we're never going to be perfect like Jesus. We're never going to hit completion like Jesus, this side of heaven. But we can grow in the manner that he grew. And we can pay attention to a couple of things along the way that will help us. And so we get to the idea of stature. And there's a part of it that you and I cannot control. But there's a part of it that we can. And so we enter into a discussion on the idea of healthy living. And what does it mean and how does it affect us in a spiritual way? It's in your notes this morning. You can fill in blanks as you go if you like to, if you're a person that does that. If you want to underline things in Scripture that help you follow along and reconnect with this passage later. But we're going to dive all over the New Testament today to understand exactly what it is that God wants us to lean into when it concerns matters of physical health. See, I would say that based on this verse and so many other throughout Scripture, that health is certainly a way that we honor and serve the Lord. But living in a healthy way is certainly one of the ways that we honor the Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we would say, like, whatever we do, whatever we do, whatever we don't do, whatever we think, whatever we feel, whatever we say, whatever we respond to, what we put in, what comes out, the amount of effort and energy that we give to something, anything that we do, we should do it as if we're working for the Lord and not for people because it gives us opportunity to do it in the name of Jesus Christ and give thanks to God first and foremost for the body and the life that he's given us. So health is certainly a way that we can honor God and it doesn't just include the physical aspects of our health because the physical aspects of our health are tied to the emotional and the psychological aspects of our health. So we should look at that as, as this holistic approach to who we are, the idea of physical, psychological, and emotional health, and we should be in pursuit of what would be the healthiest versions of ourselves in all of those areas, not just for our benefit or for our happiness, and although it will be to our benefit and it will lead to our happiness, but ultimately for the great glory of Jesus Christ because it gives us an opportunity opportunity to represent him well in the world and it expands our usefulness to him and so it should be something that's on our minds as believers in Jesus Christ so you kind of sit through that and sift through it at the beginning of the year when everybody's making resolutions about losing this or signing up for that or completing this or whatever sort of resolutions or goals or initiatives you're making for the year 2020 in life some of them are probably physical the idea that Jesus grew in wisdom, that's this mental kind of thing, that he grew in stature, that's this physical aspect of life, and then also favor with God. There ought to be some physical, emotional, spiritual, mental goals that we set in life to help us continue to pursue Christ-like living. So what are your healthy living? Whether that's physical or psychological or emotional goals or initiatives for this year. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse Starting with verse 24, um, these words. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? And that's because in these days, 
during these Olympic games and the Pythian games and the Namian games and the Isthmian games, like there was only one winner of every single activity. And that was the person that got the wreath, the crown, the laurels around his head when he was done. There was no second place. There was no third place. There was no runner up. There were only the guy who won and all the people who didn't. And so in a race, all the runners run in order to get the prize, but only one of them actually wins the race. So in this group of games, Paul would have maybe, perchance, had an opportunity to witness some of the Olympics happening every one, two, three, four years. But he definitely, because of his proximity to the city of Corinth and the number of times that he visited and the number of times that he addressed these people, would have had a direct connection at some point in his ministry to the Isthmian games that happened right near that city. They were set up as a group of games dedicated to the god Poseidon, the god of the sea. And there was a temple right there in the city where people would go. Like if you were an Olympic or an Isthmian competitor, you would go to that temple to learn the rules of the game. And you would sign an oath or a pledge saying that if you broke the rules of the game that you were competing in, you would be completely excluded from winning the game. And so this is what I thought was really, really fascinating about these games. Um, Athletes would compete in foot races. That's still present today. Wrestling. Um, in the South, sometimes we call that wrestling, boxing, um, throwing the discus and the javelin, the long jump. Those are all still present, but also chariot racing. You know, that was a big deal. Um, and then also poetry reading and singing. You did not know that those were considered Olympic sports. I'm going to need them to bring that back. Because the high dive, nothing for me. Like the long distance running probably can't do that in these like international competitive levels. But Y'all give me a bow tie and a British accent, and I can do some poetry reading. What if I want a gold in that? What if I was like, your pastor was an Olympic medal gold poetry reader? <laughs> like, they did that, and singing, which would be kind of fun. You didn't know that was part of it. According to lots of inscriptions that are contemporary to Paul, um, women, even in those days, competed in the races, which is good to know. Like, they definitely are world-class athletes today, but it was happening way back then, too. Inscriptions mention women winning the 200-meter dash as well as lots of war chariot races. Girls, set some goals. Ride a chariot. That would be awesome. So these games are happening. So Paul uses a metaphor that, that people of that day would have understood. They would have understood foot racing. They would have understood javelin throwing. They would have understood competitive poetry reading and understanding what was going on in their culture. And he says, don't you know that everybody who runs the race, everybody who mounts their chariot, everybody who throws their disc, everybody who sings their song and reads their poem, they do it in order to win, but only one of them gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Oh, this is how you do it. If you want to win the prize, you got to train for it. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who is running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You take an oath, you compete according to the rules, not be disqualified for the prize. That idea of striking a blow, some of your Bible translations are going to say discipline yourself. It literally is the hupopiazo in Greek literature, and it means to beat into submission. That's not what we do to our children. It's the idea of putting yourself under whatever strict training you're going to put yourself under, whatever kind of all-out effort you're going to make. 
Paul uses that metaphor not in the idea that he's running the race, not in the idea that he's throwing the disc, not in the idea, I don't even think that was the right motion for throwing a disc, maybe it's like, I don't really know what it would be, like not in the mindset that he's standing up and reading a poem in front of all the people, but he says it because he's sharing the gospel. So he takes this metaphor of strict physical training and he applies it to the spiritual impact that he can have on people because he shares with them the gospel. I want to say that what we do physically does affect what we do spiritually. And what we do spiritually does affect who we are physically. That's really important to note. And it's in your notes for that reason today. That lack of proper health does not mean disconnected to Christ. If you've ever had this feeling or anybody else has ever put on you this label that says, oh, a, a real Christian wouldn't behave that way. A real Christian wouldn't indulge that way. A real Christ follower would not treat their body poorly that way. That, that, that our physical health or the lack thereof has no bearing on our connection to Christ. That would be legalism. That would be works-based salvation. That would say that you got to fit into a certain mold or a certain size or a certain ability before you can truly follow Jesus. A lack of proper health has no bearing on your overall connection to salvation in Christ, but it is. And this is where we tread lightly. It is, and it can become an obstacle to our service. Because it's not just what sort of healthy, living, physical, psychological, and emotional goals do you have. It's what sort of healthy, living, physically, psychologically, emotionally, what sort of healthy, living limitations do you have preventing you from serving? Health is a way that we honor God, but it's also a way that we can represent the Lord with our motivation in check. As long as we have proper motivation. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple? Temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And this passage of scripture coming out of, of, of the world of Corinth where people were behaving in any sort of manner of way and indulging in any sort of activity, whether that was a substance that they were abusing or sex that they were engaging in, this whole passage of scripture comes, this body that you have and how you use it, use it as a vessel and a vehicle of the Holy Spirit of God to be transmitted through you to the rest of the world. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. They don't belong to you. And so every way that we look at matters of physical health, whether it's the things that we do or the things that we abstain from in this life, are an opportunity with proper motivation, as if we're serving God and not people with proper motivation, it's an opportunity to represent the Lord to the world. And this is where it gets even more tricky. Because you've heard this idea of, well, I mean, you would be healthier if you would just discipline yourself. I mean, it's just a matter of like, well, if you just like, if you eat less or work out more, then oh, that's all. It's just a matter of simple discipline. And why don't you make these choices? That's, that's not true. Because ultimately, healthy living is not only a matter of discipline. It's not only a matter of whatever effort you have. If that was the case, then all of these fad diets wouldn't exist. People wouldn't be eating cotton balls. Do you know they do that? Like eating, there's a cotton ball diet, there's a charcoal diet, um, there's a wear blue glasses so that your food looks less appetizing diet, 
um, there's a eat 16 pints of a special kind of ice cream every single day that over the course of three days will cost you a $199 diet. Sign me up for the ice cream. I don't feel like it's going to taste like Jenny's. There's all these kind of fad baby food diet, like you're supposed to eat like 18 jars of baby food a day, gag. If simple discipline and just making the choice and doing the right thing, if that worked, then none of these fads would exist and people wouldn't be trying all these alternative methods in order to get healthy. So it's not just a matter of discipline because there's so much else that goes into it, like your origin. That's the, that's the family that you come from. That's, that's the region that you live in. Because, you know, we, right now we're in the South. And Nashville is all about the kale, but we like it with a side of biscuits and gravy. Like, it's a different thing here. It's not happening all over the world. It's the region that you come from. It's also your access to resources and opportunities to be healthy. I learned just looking at facts about world hunger that we still um, across this globe have over 2 billion people um, worldwide um, that don't have access to food and proper nutrition. Millions of kids under the age of five still die every single day from preventable diseases like diarrhea because they don't have proper nutrition and access to clean water. 8%, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but when you look at the population of the United States and Western Europe, 8% of the populations of those people don't have access to proper nutrition. Being at risk for not having access to proper nutrition increases by 10% if you're a woman around the world. There's still so many food and nutrition-related issues all over the world. In the United States, 37.2 million people are food insecure. That's one out of every six children. And it's not just the idea of not having any food. It's the idea of not having the right food. And it's the idea of settling for cheaper, less healthy food because that's what's available. There, there is this aspect of your family and your pattern and your region and your access and ultimately your circumstance that has a bearing on someone's healthy living choices. And then, and then you bring up the idea of addiction or emotional scars, the health that people engage in. We have ministry at our church called Celebrate Recovery, and a lot of times people hear the idea of Celebrate Recovery or any one of the other anonymous organizations, and you immediately dive into the thoughts of substance abuse, like the idea that someone is abusing drugs or alcohol, but Celebrate Recovery exists for any sort of deep-seated addiction. Maybe even an addiction to food. Maybe even an addiction to sex. Maybe even an addiction to a really unhealthy relationship. And we want people in our church and people in our community to realize that that ministry exists to help people make healthy choices. We have a counselor on staff. Her name is Kathy. She offices out of the Franklin office, but is willing to go to any of the Rolling Hills campuses and meet with people for the purpose of counseling. She directs our counseling ministry because this idea of healthy living is not just as simple as check a box, look at a chart, make a choice, wham, bam, I'm healthy. No, it's, it's, a, it's a longer, deeper, seated challenge that every single one of us approaches with a different story and heritage and history and feelings about. It is about our family. It also, for many of us, includes addiction. It 
encompasses a whole lot of emotion and body image. And we go back to Psalm 139, and we read these words. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That's not a passage about how we view ourselves physically. It's a passage of how we understand ourselves emotionally as created in the image of God. And if it was just a physical thing, then we could count our calories on one side and those that we burn on the other. And every single one of us, just by the ability to make a solid choice, would be the absolute healthiest version of ourselves, always increasing in godly stature. But there's more to it than that. It's marred by sin in the world that tells you that you're not good. And that you're not pretty, and that you're not fit, and that you're not smart, and that you're not what you need to be in order to earn the Lord's favor. And those are lies of an enemy who wants to trap you before you ever start serving the Lord with gladness and giving him your all and being the healthiest version of yourself so that you can produce more fruit. Healthy trees bear fruit. So we pursue health, not for our own ends, not for our own satisfaction, not for our own means, but as a way of ultimately serving God. Because at the end of it, healthy living isn't just a matter of discipline, whether that's your physical health, your psychological health. You know, or maybe you are, statistics would say there are many of us to battle anxiety and depression. We, we, we talked about that a couple series ago with the idea of being anxious for nothing. Many of us battle anxiety and depression. And the last thing you want to hear is somebody to tell you to snap out of it. Because you know you can't just snap out of it. Because if you could just snap out of it, you would have already snapped. Oh, that doesn't sound right. Laughter is medicine, by the way. <laughs> you can't just discipline yourself out of those. You can't just story your way to health. But it's all connected in the wholeness of the beings that God has created in his ultimate image. And so the idea of living our healthiest lives physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, it's a process for us to understand that we were created in the image of God to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And there's all these things out there in the world, tools of the enemy that want to tell us that we can't to stop us from trying. Because at the end of it, it's not just discipline. It's not just looking at your story and your origin. It's not just whether or not you struggle with addiction. It's not just whether or not you can wrap your heart around the emotions of it all. It's ultimately a matter of that the health that you pursue is ultimately a matter of faith. Jesus said, it's written down for us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So think about your weariness. Think about your burdens. Think about your struggles. Think about your addictions. Think about your patterns. Think about your past. Think about your physical limitations and, 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 and take those as the burdens that they are. 
and the weariness that they bring and offer them to Jesus who desires nothing more than to give you a sense of rest and peace and comfort and wholeness and completion with regard to those because his, his yoke, in spite of the fact that he had to do what he did, is, is easy and he wants to trade. I, as, a, as an adult, always have struggled with um, diet and exercise and patterns and, and weight and getting to an uncomfortable and being told for years that I'm pre-diabetic and I was like, well, when am I going to cross the threshold to being actual diabetic? And the doctor kept saying, you got to do this. And I used to put off doctor's appointments because I didn't want to go because I just knew it was going to be bad news. And I'm a person that doesn't mind giving blood. In fact, you know, I can do that. Sign me up. Take me to the Red Cross. Stick me on the blood mobile. But then I got to be like, gosh, every time you give blood at the doctor, they tell you all these things that are wrong with you. And years and years ago, um, my, my weight had crested to a point that it had never been before. Um, and it got time to get really serious about it. And I began to learn, just for me personally, how much of a spiritual thing that was. Because I'd been on the roller coaster of my own effort forever, but it was a spiritual thing. Because as a pastor, I could pray for deep needs in the world. Like, give me the list that JMI has of needs in Moldova. Give me the list that JMI has of needs in Brazil along the Amazon. Give me any number of the prayer requests that you might offer on a Sunday morning about the deep difficulties and the hurts and the hang-ups and the struggles that we all face. Talk to me about the mother who just lost a child. Talk to me about the child who just lost a parent. Talk to me about the really bad diagnosis. And I'll go to God in prayer for those things, but my own habits just seemed so far beneath what my prayer life needed to be. And I also felt like that's all my fault. God doesn't want to help me with the things that are my fault. So through the years, I became a person that wasn't praying for physical health for myself. Now for others, I'd dial it up. Dear Lord, please help so-and-so because they're struggling with this addiction. Lord, please help so-and-so because they're battling depression. Lord, please help so-and-so because they are making choices in their life to be healthy and it's going to be a struggle. Lord, let's pray for so-and-so. But with me, it was looking in the mirror and going, you are the way that you are because of the habits and the patterns that you've developed in your life and it's your fault. And I was looking at the great God of the universe who told me, Jesus said it to his disciples, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Father. Mind-blowing for people who had been pursuing God, people who had their bar mitzvahs, people who learned the Old Testament law, people who memorized the Torah. Wait a minute, when we pray, we're supposed to call him dad? He wants us to enter into that kind of intimate relationship with him like he's a father? And I had long began to understand the great God of this universe when it came to my physical health and the things that I knew I was doing wrong as someone who would rather judge me than love me. So you tell me diet and exercise is just a matter of physical discipline. No. It's an emotional, spiritual challenge where I had to eventually go to God like a kid stranded on the side of the road and saying, Dad, I got a flat tire. I need your help. Dad, I have a really big tire and I need your help. <laughs> Told y'all laughter's medicine. <laughs> a pastor who was afraid to go to God with his problems because he thought God would just look at him and say, well, you know what you need to do.
the struggles that we face are, are not just a matter of discipline. Make a choice. Do something different. Change your life. Own your destiny. It's not just a matter of the pattern and the history and the genetics and the origin that we came from. It's not just about whether or not you're someone who's predisposed and struggles with addiction. And it's not just about the emotion that's wrapped up in how you perceive yourself. It's, it's ultimately a spiritual thing with whether or not you can believe that the almighty, most powerful, loving God of this universe loves you deeply, passionately cares about you, desires a relationship with you, and wants to give you peace in all of these areas of your life. And then, with our motivation in check, we have to understand that health and our pursuit of physical, psychological, emotional health can also be a distraction, even an idol, if it's a misplaced priority in life. And you know that, the people that are obsessed with health, people that are obsessed with the way that they look, people that are obsessed with running the next race and getting to the next level and getting down to the next weight loss. Like, you know the people that are obsessed with that. And what happens is that even these goals that we have that are really good in life can ultimately become idols that we employ in life because our motivation is in the wrong spot. The enemy uses really, really, really good things to keep us from the best. So Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 8, that for physical training is of some value. There's value there. But godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So that means that it, this, this healthy living, physically, psychologically, emotionally, healthy living really is about who and what it's for. Abigail read it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for man. Healthy living it really can draw you closer to Christ. Because ultimately, healthy living needs to be something that we submit to Christ and say, I need your help to do it. I need your help, God, to make different choices in this area. I need your help, God, to draw closer to you in this way. I need your help, God, to reach out in this way. I need your help, God, to remove these limitations that are preventing me from serving you because I physically can't. And so we look at the idea of Jesus continuing to increase in not just wisdom, but also in his stature, the, the physical side of his life and the physical side of his health. And we say that we want to grow like that. And, and, and we want to be closer to Christ in that. The fact that stature in Luke 2.52 also means just getting older is a good reminder for us because it's harder the older we get. Because these bodies that we have, they're, they're temporary until we get a new one. And they're going to fail us. There's going to be things about them that start to not work as well as they used to. And there's going to be a decrease in our ability to use them properly. Somebody told me recently, as a part of our body, he's a great man, he said, getting old is hard, I do not recommend it. <laughs> and so there is an idea that we want to be as healthy as we possibly can be for as long as we possibly can be in order to serve the Lord in ways that we never dreamed imaginable. Last week, we concluded our time in the sermon looking at Psalm 128. 
It was a psalm of ascent where the people literally recited the words going up the steps into the temple courts as a reminder that with every step they got closer to God. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, mental health, all those things are an opportunity for us to get closer to God and to represent God through the way that we live. These bodies were given to us as a tool to be leveraged for his glory. And we never want to get into a situation. And if we're there, we want to get out of the situation where all of a sudden these bodies become the reason why we can't grow, the reason why we can't trust, the reason why we can't believe, the reason why we can't serve. And so that physical nature of health really does come with a whole lot of spiritual connotation about what it means to trust God and get closer to him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to look at scripture and to read your word and to know that so much of it is about the interconnectedness in the way that we live our lives. You have created each and every one of us with purpose. And if any one of us in this room is still breathing, we have work to do. Work to do for your name and for your glory so that other people can, can know and follow you. And so God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us um, in whatever area where we need the most help, um, in whatever area where we need the most love, in whatever area we need the tender touch from you, um, to be the healthiest version of ourselves that we possibly can be not for our own ends, but for yours, to accomplish the purpose that you've given. There are those of us, God, who who struggle with really deep physical limitations, um, with illness and disease and so much history and so much burden of what it means to be a person who walks in the world that we live. God, our prayer today is that you would help each and every one of us right where we're at understand that you have a plan and a purpose for us to love us and to use us so that your name and your fame can be made great in this world and so that we along with others can be drawn closer to Jesus and it's in his perfect name that we pray